You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Mark 14, starting in 53 is where we'll be reading from. And we'll read through 65. And um, oh, What a neat, what a great morning. It's bright in here. The sun is shining, and this is great. I was looking out, it's bright. Praise God. And uh, that's awesome. Let's show our picture from last week. Uh, a different winter than usual. Uh, George turned this in, and I appreciate it. Adults, teenagers, you can draw. You can make art. Send it in. You can be anonymous if you want, but I appreciate George uh, handing this in. A great picture here. If you can see the depth of what's going on last week as that group came from the Sanhedrin, led by Judas the betrayer, to give that kiss of betrayal and to deliver the Son of Man into the hands of men. And so he's got kind of by the gate there, and I appreciate that, George. A great picture. So invite you kids and older ones that have an artistic flair, or through the week, you might take notes during our time here, but through the week you say, boy, I could put that in a picture. Do that and use what God's gifted you uh, to help us reflect uh, on that. Okay, having looked at that, that gives us an idea, and remember that they all fled and alone, and we come to verse 53 of Mark 14, so let's read that together. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What's your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. Let me pray again for us. Lord, again, as we enter into your word and we hear from it, some of us are listening, some are maybe going to take some notes. Some we will fade in and out of attention. It's okay. We're prone to wander, <laughs> myself included. Father, we pray that what is heard today would transform our lives to worship the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in every part of our lives. In our parenting, 
in our work sites, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our schools. Lord, this is your living word, and so I pray it would penetrate where it needs to in my own heart, in the hearts of those listening, that you would do a work here, Lord, by your spirit. And so we're asking this. Help us to be sensitive. And then, Lord, when you convict and when you show us and you reveal to us your word, I pray you'd give us strength to obey and that we would take your word and go live out what it says and live under and in submission to your word. So we pray for that and pray for our time together. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this all. Amen. Well, none of us has experienced a night like what Jesus has experienced. It still is night. From his agony in the garden, his deep prayer, remember that prayer? If there's any way, any other way, let this cup, this cup of suffering, let it pass. There was agony in his prayer time. And then seeing his disciples, his own followers, seeing them asleep and unprepared while he prayed, and then the kiss of the friend, Judas, coming. Except it wasn't a kiss of friendship or affection, it was to betray. And then all of his disciples eventually fleeing in the night while he was led off to a trial for his very life. And yet on this hardest of nights, a dark night, Jesus endured and he walked into this night. He's filled with the Spirit, he's one with the Father. Jesus walked on to this trial that we just read about here. And at, at any one moment, couldn't he have put an end to all this, called out the heavenly armor, uh, army, said, be done with this. You all with your betrayal, your false accusations, any of this, you're done. It's enough. It's, it's too much. He could have, but he didn't. Though the sheep had scattered, this great shepherd in and by grace goes as it is written of him that he might bear the iniquity and the sin of the sheep he came for. Grace was on display every minute as Jesus endured this blasphemous speech that we read about and really this crazy trial that's going on before him. In the midst of false testimony and the lack of justice for the innocent here, the mocking and spitting, Jesus really shines through. Not only as gracious, which he is, to endure this, to humble himself to this, but one who is called truth, the way, the truth, and the life. We see in verse 53, we're familiar at least with this group that is leading him away to the high priest, this Jewish high council, this Sanhedrin, and it says that they, they came together. Matthew describes it as the whole council gathering and maybe different commentators would differ on whether this was the whole Sanhedrin or a portion of them, and you can look that up on your own. But I believe that they gathered amongst other places and stops, and it takes a little effort to figure out quite the timing, all the sequences, but among other places, I believe they are at the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. That's where they've ended up here, and I believe where this, uh, at least the best of my knowledge here, where this trial is going on, amongst other places where they've been. Verse 54 tells us something about Peter, and he's out in the courtyard. And we see him again. Here he comes. 
uh, he's followed at a distance. He's in the courtyard. He's sitting with the guards. He's warming himself at the fire. Uh, we had a fire last night outside, not in the house. And uh, it's great to warm yourself. By the, this is where Peter's at. You can picture that. Around a campfire, that's where you go to get warm. And so here's Peter in the midst of this trial, and they're walking away into the Sanhedrin. All this that we've read about, and here's Peter. Just Mark just says he's there. He's in the courtyard. He's warming himself. And so it's good to ask Mark, why this detail? Why do you add this part here? Couldn't it just go on to Jesus in the trial and not put Mark in here? But I think there's a, there's a reason. And Mark is weaving, as he has, I think, through the book of Mark, the disciples in the midst of the story of the Savior. So you've got the storyline of these disciples and their claims of who he is. Yes, you're the Christ. And then they're falling away. And all these disciples that we're seeing, it's really a story of both the sheep, the followers, and the shepherd himself. Contrast of the weakness of disciples and yet the grace and the strength of Jesus. Now, Peter here has yet, and you've read the rest of it with me, he has yet to go into this council and interrupt them, right? He's not running in and going, guys, you got it all wrong. I have a testimony and it's true. And to tell you, this is who Jesus is. We don't see Peter doing that. We see him warming himself by the fire. Um, just trying to really, I think, observe what's going on. He's not ready to defend Jesus yet. He is following, but he's not quite there. He's just what you might call an interested observer. Uh, I learned this phrase when I was flying airplanes, and a guy from Uganda was my trainer, and we were flying, I think we were flying out to the east coast from Kansas, and he turned on the autopilot, and in his accent, we are now just interest. we are a, you're an I.O., that's what he said to me, you're an I.O., I said, I.O., you're an interested observer. When you got the autopilot on, you're just observing, that's what pilots do most of the time. They're just watching, and if something goes wrong, then they've got to act. But they're, they're observing. That's what Peter's doing here. He's interested. He's going to warm and maybe just see what's going on. But he's not in there himself. That boldness will come later. The Holy Spirit comes, and he will be bold, but it's not at this point. It actually goes the exact opposite direction for Peter, and we're going to see that next week, where he, in fact... Though we've read about false witnesses, Peter, in fact, becomes a false witness as well. I think it's this part of Peter and the disciples, it's what makes these gospel accounts helpful to us as we just watch these disciples and, in a sense, we watch our own story play out. These disciples, they're prone to talk big and yet produce little. They stand strong only to flee in the next moment. They're interested to observe, but then they're weak to proclaim allegiance. It's helpful to see the Peter in us and our desperate need for Jesus, for His strength and His rescue and His grace in our own walk as disciples. We, lest we go here and go, boy, that Peter, he should have gone. I would have run in there. I would have done. I think these disciples are here to say, no, this is you. You would have fled as well. And you would have denied but be for the grace of God, we would still be in that spot. Well, that's Peter. And if you're watching this in your mind, now we pan back from Peter and again we come in close, out from the courtyard, 
into this room and this trial that's at hand in verse 55. And it says in 55, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Here's the deal. I mean, to justly and rightly condemn this prisoner, they've got to have some sort of witness, some sort of testimony against him. Listen to how some of the Old Testament passages puts this trial. Deuteronomy 17, 6-7 says this, On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So there's some direction from Deuteronomy. How about a little more? Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 16 says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. And hence the problem of this night for this trial. They got none of this. That's what the verse says. They had none. None of their testimony. They found none. Trying to find these witnesses, this testimony. I mean, they found them. They found witnesses. It's just their testimony wasn't true. It was false. Look at verse 56. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. So yes, they found people. They were able to do that, but even in this, it didn't match. And where it says their testimony did not agree, it's the Greek word is where we get our isosceles triangle from, this isos, where uh, isosceles triangle has two equal sides to it. I had to look that up. I didn't remember that from high school math. But two equal sides um, is where that's from. And because uh, I think I looked that up when we did that in our Sunday school class this summer. We were there and did that there. It's two equal sides. And so in a sense, there's, there's not equality in their witness and their testimony here. It's, it's lopsided. It's not isos. It's not the same. It's different. It's not agreeing. Verse 57 then and 58 give us an example of some of their testimony. We might say, what, are, what were they saying? Verse 57, And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. I'm going to destroy, that's their testimony, I'm going to destroy this temple. And they're emphatic that Jesus said this here. The wording, even in verse 58, says, in, in other words, we heard him say, I, I will destroy. Like they're saying, we really heard him. He's really going to destroy this temple and then build it in three days. Was well, that what Jesus says? Let's look and go with me to John, just a few Gospels down to the right. John chapter 2 and look at verse 19. John 2, 19. It's in the, we're kind of coming into the midst of Jesus going through. He's cleansing the temple of the money changers and those who had made the house of God a house of trade. That's kind of the, the setting here. And so let me just read verse 18 and I'll read through 21. 
And listen to his words here. Here's what Jesus actually said. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? You know, what gives you authority to come into the temple? Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. He goes on to say the disciples remember this uh, after he was raised from the dead. So did Jesus hear, did he say, I'm going to destroy this temple? No, not here. He was actually speaking to them. He's saying, uh, the translation there is, you, you destroy this temple as in my body and I will raise it in three days. John helps us to understand what Jesus meant by his body. They're giving false testimony. Now, perhaps, had Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple? Yes, we saw that in Mark chapter 13. He alluded to the destruction of the temple, but again, it was a prediction, and I think, of their own, uh, God's own judgment on Israel and on the Jewish people of why this temple would be destroyed, and he had predicted that. And rather than the Jewish leadership seeking repentance and saying, This will be destroyed. Judgment's coming and repenting. They've now turned and they're actually against Jesus here, even at this trial. They seem to have taken some truth about the temple and they've twisted it around to frame Jesus as the the guilty party. When we look at John, he says, no, you destroy this temple, speaking about himself. Pretty interesting here in, in even just this phrase, Um, In three days I will build another not made with hands there at the end of verse 58. One commentary just brings out that Mark, even in the midst of this trial, is teaching truth. We're we're seeing truth here. And we see this further in New Testament and the Scriptures about this temple, that Jesus is in fact, He's the greater temple. And uh, He's God's presence. And He's according to Ephesians 2, He's the cornerstone on whom the whole church is joined to. It's a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So yes, someone greater than the temple is here. It's not made with hands. That is, earthly man did not make it. Jesus, the greater temple, he's fulfilling it. Here he is with this truth, and yet they would not listen. They would not hear of it. Verse 59 tells us again, their testimony did not agree. It was not that isos. It was not the same. And as this multitude of witnesses seem to fail in what they're called to do, they just can't agree, now the high priest stands up to question Jesus. It's in verse 60. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? The high priest here is going in the exact opposite direction that he should be at this point in the trial. This trial, right, we read from Deuteronomy, two witnesses, they need to agree, agree about things. We're not finding that. Nobody's in agreement. This high priest should say this trial's bogus. It should be done. Everybody head back home. What does he do? No, more. All right, he keeps going with it. Um, James Edwards says this. He says, Nearly every detail of Jesus' trial violates the rules for capital cases 
prescribed in the Mishnah. It's the Jewish kind of oral law that they, uh, that they had that's been passed on. All these rules, all these details, it doesn't matter. Because why? We want to see this guy dead. They were looking for that opportunity to kill Jesus, if you remember. And yet Caiaphas continues. Verse 61 tells us Jesus responds, but it's not with words, it's with silence. Imagine that. No response to this high priest. There's a silence. How do you answer these things? What is it these men testify against you? Why would you answer false testimony? Jesus is silence. He made no answer. And then... And then the high priest asked this question in verse 61. So Jesus remains silent. He makes no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? He's asking if Jesus is both Messiah, are you the Christ, are you Messiah, and is your claim to be the Son of God? So when you see the word Blessed in there, and put in there, Son of God. I think blessed is a way of them not naming the name of God, but just saying the Son of the Blessed. That's your claim. Are you that person? And Jesus answers in verse 62. I mean, this is the go for the kill. Let's get to the heart of it. Who cares about the other witnesses? Let's just let him self-incriminate himself. In verse 62, Jesus responds, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Throughout Mark, we've seen the secrecy of Jesus. You know, don't go tell anybody they're healed, but don't spread it. This secrecy, it's now pulled back. And it's pulled back not amongst friends, but amongst the enemies that are here. Jesus is saying, yes, I am. I am. It's one of those ego a me. It's I, I am. It's this emphasis. I am. I am the Christ. You're asking if I'm the son of the blessed. I am. Because I sit as a right hand. Yes, I and the Father are one. I'm God. The one whom Daniel talks about. And it's Daniel 7, 13 through 14. I'll read it for you. Uh, it's not unfamiliar as we've looked at this title of Jesus as son of man. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold, With the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. These are the first true words spoken at this trial. And one day, everybody present is going to see this Son of Man. The the you will see, verse 62, do you see where he says, and you will see? It's not just towards the high priest. It's a plural. It's you all, y'all. You all here are going to see this. You're going to see the Son of Man coming in power and glory on the clouds of heaven. Not just the high priest. And we might ask, when? 
We're not sure. That hour is unknown. But if not sooner, they would see him at the final judgment. J.C. Ryle says this. It's a little bit of an extended quote, but I'll read it to you from him. He points this out about the Jews. He says, The Jews could never say after these words, that is what Jesus has just spoken, they could never say after these words that they were not clearly told that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ of God. Before the great councils of their priests and elders, he declared, I am the Christ. The Jews could never say after these words that he was so lowly and poor a person that he was not worthy to be believed. He warned them plainly that his glory and greatness was all yet to come. They were only deferred and postponed until his second advent. They would yet see him in royal power and majesty sitting on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven, a judge, a conqueror, and a king. And he just proclaimed this before them. If they're believing, if they have ears to hear, what would be their response? All of them, right? That should be the response to this declaration. You want to know who I am? I am. And it doesn't happen. Jesus is the only true witness in the room. Listen to their reaction here. Verse 63. The high priest tore his garments, ripped them, and said, what further witnesses do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. The only faithful and true witness in the room stands condemned. The high priest got the confession he was wanting. Apparently here, Jesus, he's not condemned for his, his messianic claim. And as I've read here, um, commentators don't think that because you would claim yourself to be Messiah, that that's why they killed him or why uh, the high priest utters blasphemy. It's because Jesus equates himself as the son of the blessed, the son of God, being equal with God. That's why this is coming. So I think others claim messiahship and it's not worthy of death or not worthy. If he had just said, I'm the Christ, you know, we don't know. I mean, it would still keep going. But, but um, it's, this, it's this equality with God that Jesus pronounces that I think lands him for them in this category of blasphemy. And then he asked this council, and it's an interesting word here. He asked them, what is your decision? And I just bring this out because it's interesting. The Greek word here, not that we're learning Greek, but it's not just a plain word that means what's your decision. It's, it's a word that means, uh, I think it's shining or brought to light or appearing. This high priest is asking this whole, the people around him, the, the other chief priests, the, the elders, the scribes, what, he's really saying, what shines out here? What, what light is revealed? I just find that interesting in light of who Jesus is, the light of the world came. His own would not receive him. And here, this high priest says, what light do you see? And instead of 
them recognizing this light, they're blind and they condemn Jesus as deserving of death. It goes further in 65 that we read, some began to spit on him to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Instead of praise comes insult. Instead of worship comes mockery. Instead of honor comes disgrace. Instead of repentance comes what? Their own blasphemy against the Son of God before them. Prophesy. Who hit you? Says another Gospels. And yet, what does the text tell us about Jesus and his retaliation? Or him fighting back? You see it in there? You don't. It's blank. He continues on the course because he's a gracious shepherd. The gentle Savior who, yes, one day he will come in judgment. Be ready. He takes the blows and the mockery and the spit and the disgrace that he might walk that road of suffering to Calvary so that wayward and sinful sheep like you and me would be saved. He could have called down at any moment this could be over. He rules infinitely greater than these little And he goes forward. Two things as we look back at this passage about Jesus. Number one, where lies abound, Jesus is truth. Where lies abound, Jesus is truth. Lies are abounding. False witnesses abound in this trial. Jesus is truth. Even the very leadership of the Jews did not want the truth, but they settled for lies. This sound familiar to anybody in the Truth Project. This should sound a bit familiar to any of you on Sunday nights going through this. There's lies abound in the world around us, but also in our own hearts. We have the same lies to us. The same, did he really say, the same distrust. Is Jesus able to completely save Can he reconcile me? Maybe the lie is he can't. Can he fully forgive me? I don't think so. Will he supply my needs? I'm not sure today. He did last year, but I'm not sure. Can I be content in him? Maybe not. Jesus' answer to the lies is that he's truth and he's the I am. And my encouragement is to listen to the truth of the I am. He says, I am able to save completely. I am able to forgive. I am able to reconcile you to God. I am able to lead you. I am able to supply all your needs. I am able to make you content. I am. Jesus is truth. And so we are to listen to him in his word and hear ultimate reality. So where lies abound, Jesus is truth. And again, for those in Truth Project, that's nothing unfamiliar. But are we listening to lies about us? We need to hear the truth of Jesus. Number two, about Jesus, he's truth. And where condemnation 
is justly deserved Jesus' grace. That is where he would be just to condemn this whole trial and wipe them out. Jesus is grace. No one, including these fleeing disciples, not even Peter who's come back a little bit to get warm, no one was deserving of Jesus to go through this night. From the false accusations to the mocking to the beating, grace was on display as Jesus endured for his own and went forward to the cross. I want to ask each of you, and I don't assume anything though we meet weekly, do you know the grace of the Savior? Do you know the truth of this grace? Maybe for you and me, that we, oh yeah, I, yeah I, I'm six years old, I trusted Christ. I, no, no do, you, do you know His grace today that informs everything in your life? Have you come to Him? His grace that drives us to Him to say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I need Jesus. I need the blood to cover me and believe the truth in that. May it be in our families, dads, moms, kids, know this grace that is true, that is from Jesus. John 1, 14 through 17 says this, in light of what we've studied and read here this morning, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It says, John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. Who is He? He's the I Am. Always has, always will be. And then verse 16 says, For from His fullness, this Word that became flesh, from the fullness of Jesus, from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. May this grace impact our own hearts and lives. May it impact how we parent, as we've been learning about in our parenting class. How, may this grace impact how we live out the commands of the Lord, that we can live them out because He's been gracious. May it impact our neighborhoods, that the neighborhood you live in, wherever that is, would know the grace in that neighborhood. May it impact those relationships where that person is deserving of all the punishment you could pour out. They're, they're worthy of that condemnation. May they know the grace coming from grace we've received through Jesus Christ. Having been shown mercy, may we show mercy. Let me pray for us. Lord, the, the words ringing here are from John, that you are grace and truth. Father, as many have been going through some of this truth study and parenting in different places, and we're hearing the same theme that I think you want to be speaking into our lives through your word. You are gracious to go to the cross for deserving sinners. You are truth when lies abound. And Father, may our lives testify to a devotion to you alone. 
Oh, Lord, help our parenting to show that when it is so weak. Help our performance, our jobs, where we're at work and we're weak to proclaim Jesus when we know we should. We pray for strength in that, that your grace and truth would shine. Lord, for these students that are in school, may they show grace and truth of Jesus. For those that are visiting family and relatives in hard situations, may they know grace and truth found in Jesus alone. We pray for this, Lord, and ask you to lead us, strengthen us. Our flesh is weak. And so we pray, Lord, help us to fight the temptation to want to condemn those deserving and see the grace we've been given in you and then show it. And we pray this in your name. Thank you.